This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, September 28th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, County puts hold on Park Project. David Sussman named 2023's Volunteer of the Year. Canning season arrives and a mountain weather forecast. But first... A red flag warning was issued today, September 28th, for much of the middle of San Miguel County, including Norwood and Natarita. Although the warning is set to expire at 8 p.m. this evening, low humidity and strong winds are expected to continue into Friday, which could lengthen the period of fire risk. During a red flag warning, open burning is prohibited. A shovel-ready project was thrown a wrench last week as the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners reconsidered an anticipated park just outside of Telluride. The project in question is a planned park along the bike path connecting Telluride to Lawson, located across from the Shell gas station and next to the intersection with Mill Creek Road. Years ago, a private donor gave the county a plot of land at the site with rather specific conditions, says manager Mike Bordonia. It had been dedicated to the county as uh, open space or parks um, with fairly strict parameters for the use of that parcel. So, as the land was intended to be for open space, the county planned a park with bathrooms, parking, a playground, a pollinator garden, bike and skateboard tracks, picnic tables, and so on. With plans in place, the county parks and open space department has started looking for contractors to break ground this fall. But so far, their search has come up dry. Meanwhile, Commissioner Ann Brown, who joined the board after the park plans had been drawn up, began to question why a park was needed at that location. Brown explains, I just can't see exactly what the rationale is for a sort of pocket park there. Um, There are very few neighbors currently adjacent to that space. We have public services available right across the street from a private um, business owner. Additionally, she points to the valley floor. Right across the street, we have hundreds of acres of open space. Wasn't it time, Brown suggests, to begin prioritizing other potential uses? The subtext, of course, being the possibility of housing on the parcel. Bordonia explains any change to the current plans would be complex and require a discussion with the original donor of the land, who specified it be kept as open space. You know, if there was any potential for that parcel to be used for other purposes, under different conditions. Um, Certainly there would need to be modifications to PUDs and other existing legal agreements. But Brown encouraged the county to take a pause and ask those questions to see if the possibility of housing might exist before construction of the park commenced. Commissioner Lance Waring, for his part, feels a park at the site could be of great benefit for kids traveling over from Lawson, for anyone using the valley floor and needing a place to park, And then, of course, those bathrooms. So providing public facilities on the busy bike path for our guests and locals does make some sense to me. Um, It's not that that's a desperate problem. People aren't jumping in the bushes and relieving themselves, to my knowledge. That is a nice public amenity. He is, however, willing to take a pause and explore other options. So plans for a park at Mill Creek have been put on ice. 
County Parks and Open Space Director Janet Kask says she'll stop looking for contractors to start the work, but she does so reluctantly. Uh, I'm just anxious to, you know, move forward. But, uh, you know, as I joke, you're going to find me out there with a headlamp one night and a shovel just trying to get things underway. But uh, I will sit tight and uh, be patient. Recognizing that the conversation around open space and the community's need for housing has evolved since the land was donated years ago, the county will begin to explore its options. Each year, after reviewing nominations from the community, the Telluride Foundation names a Volunteer of the Year to recognize an individual who has, quote, unselfishly contributed to Telluride's regional community through volunteerism and service, unquote. This week, the foundation has named David Sussman its 2023 Volunteer of the Year for his years of dedication to athletes in the Telluride Adaptive Sports Program and his impact on hundreds of youths in the Telluride community. Sussman first came to Telluride in the 1990s as a tourist, and he learned to ski here with Telluride Adaptive Sports, both on a sit-ski and on a four-track. A viral infection left Sussman paraplegic at the age of 12, and he discovered skiing in his adult life. Eventually, his love of skiing brought him to move to Telluride full-time. Sussman sat down with Kodo News to reflect on his volunteerism, he begins by recalling how he first came to be a coach and instructor for other paraplegic skiers. It happened when he was living on the East Coast, and he was skiing one day in Massachusetts. A woman came up and said, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? And she said, no, I want to help you with your skiing, and then I want you to come and teach others how to ski. And I was like, wow. So that was a real turning point for me, and that was in uh, 2009. Um the dream then became getting back to Telluride so that I could kind of pay forward the gift I was given by the Telluride Adaptive Sports Program. Um, my, my ultimate goal was to get back and teach at the program that taught me. Eventually, Sussman did make it back to Telluride. Moving to town permanently in 2015, he worked in the lodging industry, skied, and volunteered with TASP. Then, during COVID, his doctor informed him he was immunocompromised and should leave work for his safety. It took a couple of weeks, but I was able to um, retire. Um, and I left work um, and went on Social Security disability um, after a 40-year work career. Um, but it gave me the opportunity um, to dedicate um, basically the rest of my life to TASP. Um, so I, since that time, have been a full-time, year-round volunteer with Telluride Adaptive. And what has that work with Telluride Adaptive been like? What are some of the highlights from um, those years? The real highlight of my time with TASP, um, kind of my favorite thing to do with TASP, if you will, um, is called Enabling All. And uh, it's a program that TASP has had for over 20 years, whereby um, we do a day in the school, like a half day, where we talk to them about disability awareness and disability etiquette. Um, how to ask, you know, how to speak with people that have disabilities, ask if they need any help, how to go about doing that, as well as, um, you know, we just kind of um, underline the fact that although people with disabilities look different, we're doing the same things that people, uh, able-bodied people are doing. It just looks different. Before your disability at age 12, had you been a big athlete? 
No, sure. Um, I, I always considered myself like kind of marginal athlete. I did play Little League as a kid. I grew up in Southern California, so I was a skateboarder. Um, I wouldn't say I was uh, the most talented out there. Um, and ironically, now I do consider myself a pretty solid skier, um, you know, skiing double black terrain. Uh, this past winter, I was able to, uh, with the help of a group of TASP and non-TASP people, get up and ski Mountain Quail, which is uh, a fairly significant hike to. And right now you're actually living in California, although you do have plans to be back in Telluride this winter. Uh, will you talk a little bit about the challenges you faced um, staying in this community? Unfortunately, um, I have had some real struggles um, finding wheelchair accessible housing. Um, and I've lived in um, like nine or ten different places in my nine years in Telluride, which is a real drag. It's actually taken a toll on my um, body, um, living in basements, um, using a combination of crutches and, and my wheelchair when I'm not supposed to be using my crutches anymore. And that's why I'm in California right now. It's like I don't have a place to live in Telluride. Sadly, um, there's 58 wheelchair-accessible subsidized apartments for rent in Telluride, um, excluding Mountain Village, and all 58 of them, by my calculation, I don't know for a fact, but are occupied by able-bodied people. So um, I get it. There's not dozens and dozens of people with uh, mobility disabilities living in in mountain towns, but I think um, Telluride could do a better job. You know, despite those challenges, um, you've become an integral part of this community uh, this recognition obviously shows that. What's it What's it like to be named Volunteer of the Year? Uh, you know, like at first I was overwhelmed, you know, just um, I, I, I'm very aware of uh, the fact that the foundation uh, generously um, recognizes somebody I'm in the community. And I, and I know a number of the people that have won this in years past. They're, they're the tops, you know, um, people that give of themselves. As far as volunteering um, goes, my work with TASP has been the most fulfilling job that I've had. It fills me um, in a way that I can't explain, and it's hard to explain. But um, each year I go to the orientations where we try to recruit new volunteers, and I share my story, and I tell them, you know, it's hard work, but you're going to love it. And, um, you know, we we have a, a terrific team of volunteers That was 2023 Volunteer of the Year David Sussman discussing his work with the Telluride Adaptive Sports Program. The Telluride Foundation will celebrate Sussman's work on October 26 with a party at the AHA School. Sussman will be in attendance and all are invited. The October event runs from 4 to 6 p.m. I'm at an undisclosed location. We'll just say somewhere down valley, outside of Placerville. I've pulled over under an unblemished blue sky as the sun is waning a little bit in the west and catching all these shadows in the grass and in the trees to pick some apricots. In early September, As the summer and fall were beginning to greet each other in the mountain landscape, I heard a rumor of fruit trees down valley 
just below Telluride that were filling out with a bumper crop of apricots. Tipped off by a forager in the know, I drove 145 out of town one afternoon, pulled over alongside the road and the banks of the San Miguel River, and was greeted by old homestead trees planted and left long ago. And sure enough, ducking through long grass and through the mixture of shade and sun, I found their boughs decorated up and down with soft orange fruit, blushing pink where they've been growing in the sun and small enough to fit a half a dozen right in the palm of your hand. Within minutes, I've got a harvest, a whole bounty of small half-wild fruit. But what does one do with a bounty of apricots a whole bunch of fruit of any sort. I knew just who to call. Kathleen Morgan, a peripatetic fruit gatherer and a local advocate of all things pickled and preserved. Morgan says her vast knowledge of the local fruit landscape comes originally from the community. Word of mouth. 10, 12 years ago, I had a pickle and jam company. And by making product and being in the farmer's market, people would come up to me and say, oh my gosh, have you seen such and such tree? Have you gotten this fruit? Hey, would you come and pick my apple tree? Meeting these fellow enthusiasts, Morgan recalls, opened my eyes to all this fruit that's around us just a little bit below Telluride. In Telluride, you can get crab apples um, on a good year as long as there's not a freeze in the spring. And then people told me about the apricots in Placerville. And they only happen, obviously, on a good year, on a year where there's enough moisture and they don't get frozen. And I mean, they, they, they can get frozen in June and then there are no apricots. So this year is off the charts. This gorgeous outpouring of apricots is a special moment, a bounty fed by an enormous snowpack last winter and fruit that was spared a late deadly frost, then nursed all summer by the long days of sun. Faced with too much fruit to simply eat fresh, Morgan takes the season's bounty and puts it up for the long months to come. So say, for example, I'm making a peach sauce or peach apricot sauce or some applesauce. I'm going to cook that fruit down but I, and add some spice to it, but I want it at a good temperature. Again, not a rolling boil, but I want it at a good simmer. And then um, I use a metal funnel and put all my product into jars. When the jam is made and the jars are hot and full, it's time to preserve them so they can last on the shelf into the many months of winter. So I have a water bath that sits on two burners. It's rectangular. It comes out of the Amish community in Pennsylvania. And I heat up water to a simmer. You don't need a rolling boil. Then, depending on altitude, can size, and the product in the jars, Morgan lets them simmer for however long the recipe instructs. The heat kills bacteria and activates the seal on the jar. Involving scalding hot water, tongs moving slippery glass jars, and anxiety about bacteria, the process of canning can be intimidating, says Morgan. Yeah, people are definitely come to canning with a lot of fear that they're going to blow things up or kill people. All, all good fears to have. <laughs> but a good recipe can go a long way. At the base, I have um, recipes that come from cooperative extensions. They're the most reliable source of scientifically based preservation methods. 
Um, and so, you know, people say, oh, I've got my great-grandmother's pickle recipe. I'm like, well, that's great, but let's look at what modern-day science tells us works. You can find detailed information on Colorado Extension websites, and recipe books abound here at the Telluride Library. For those interested in really learning more, Morgan is offering a hands-on class covering the art and science of canning at the AHA School on October 12th. Sign up at aha.org. Then, armed with a bounty of information and a bevy of fruit, you can stock your pantry all fall for the long, cold months to come. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners is endorsing the passage of State Proposition II, which appears on the ballot this fall. The ballot measure asks Colorado voters whether the state can keep in excess of funds raised through a new tax on nicotine products. The state began taxing nicotine products in 2021 in order to fund housing initiatives and its new universal pre-K child care program. The tax brought in $23.65 million dollars more than was anticipated. According to Tabor, the state's taxpayer bill of rights, Colorado has to return those excess funds to nicotine companies unless voters allow the state to keep it. Speaking to commissioners, County Manager Mike Bordonia explains if the proposition passes, the funds will go towards child care and the state's preschools could always use extra money. In a a sector of our communities and economy that is so financially burdened all the time, um, it seems like it might be something that the board may want to support. Commissioners agree. They feel the funds should go towards childcare rather than back to nicotine companies. They'll vote to officially endorse Proposition II at a future meeting. The wait to be on a wait list is almost over for some who are interested in a studio in the Village Court Apartments. VCA, as it's known, is located in Mountain Village and managed by the town's housing authority. The wait list for apartments in the 220-unit affordable housing complex closed in 2020 due to high demand. The Mountain Village Housing Authority anticipates a handful of studio apartments becoming available in the future, and those on the existing VCA waitlist are not interested in studios. So the Housing Authority is opening a separate waitlist on Wednesday, November 1st at 10 a.m. for the first 50 applicants. Find more information at townofmountainvillage.com. Two Colorado gun control laws are taking effect this Sunday. One law implements a three-day waiting period for firearms purchases. The other will make it easier for victims of gun violence to sue gun stores and manufacturers. The measures are part of a historic package of gun bills signed into law earlier this year. Another law that raises the gun purchasing age to 21, with exceptions, is on hold while it faces a legal challenge. In Washington, gridlock in Congress is once again threatening to shut down the federal government. To keep the government open, an agreement must be reached before October 1st. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports on how the looming shutdown might impact Colorado communities. 
A shutdown means funding for all federal agencies and programs will be put on hold. The National Park Service, for example, will likely have to close its parks. That, in turn, hurts local economies that rely on park visitors. In 2013, Gateway Communities lost over $400 million in tourism revenue nationwide over a 16-day shutdown. Wendy Keenig is the mayor of Estes Park. She's also worried about members of her community that work at Rocky Mountain National Park. Some of these people, it's their monthly rent check and it's their food for their family's checks. So that's what I'm more concerned about. A shutdown will put paychecks on hold for all federal workers. Air traffic controllers, TSA agents and essential military personnel will have to work without pay. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Students in Aspen drink alcohol, smoke marijuana, and vape more than both state and national averages. The same is true in other resort communities, including here in Telluride. And that substance use is linked to high levels of mental health issues. School partners are working with the district to address the trend. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Hallie Zander of Aspen Public Radio reports. High school and middle school students are invited to fill out the Healthy Kids Colorado survey every two years. 2021 results showed alcohol, marijuana, vape, and cigarette use are all higher in the Aspen School District compared to the statewide average, in some cases by as much as 25 percent. These results were presented to Picking County's Board of Health last month. Catherine Sand helped analyze this data. She's the director of Aspen Family Connections, a nonprofit that works with the district and connects families to resources, including substance abuse and mental health support. Vaping, substance use, these are not unique to us, but we do have potentially some of our own factors to consider. Sand says resort town culture is partly to blame because drinking alcohol is a big part of what tourists do in Aspen. You know, they come here to enjoy themselves. And I think what our challenge is, how do we communicate that reality to children and young people, Mm -hmm. right? How do we say to them, well, this is for adults and not for you. And this increased exposure to substance use goes hand in hand with mental health concerns. Almost 40 percent of students reported feeling sad or hopeless on a regular basis. And about 18 percent had seriously considered suicide or used substances to cope with negative feelings. So the consequences of underage substance use can be dire. I would say most kids drink. That's Stella Iverson, a senior at Aspen High School. About 35% of Aspen students self-reported binge drinking alcohol within the last 30 days. But Iverson expects that number is actually a lot higher. I feel like a lot of people could have lied and felt like I'm not going to tell them that I do drugs. Iverson and her friends were asked if it surprised them that their classmates were using substances at higher rates than the statewide average. Would it surprise us? No. No. No, Not at all. (laughs) Colorado's known for weed. I mean, I think that's a given. But I think that since we have so many of these, like, outside influences, youth here just start doing those things at a younger age. That was Gia Galindo Bartley. She's also a student at Aspen High. But it's important to keep in mind Aspen students often overestimate how much their friends are drinking alcohol or doing drugs, according to the survey. And that can give kids a false sense that underage drinking and smoking is normal. 
Adeline Christensen also attends Aspen High. She moved to the area a few years ago from Denver and says the local culture of excess and competition contributes to underage drinking and low self-esteem. But I just think because we're surrounded by so much wealth and abundance, there's a lot tendency to maybe get jealous, which then translates to declining mental health. Christensen says living in such a wealthy community also makes it easier to get alcohol and drugs. Survey results showed over half of students felt it was somewhat or very easy to get marijuana, and two-thirds felt the same way about getting alcohol. In light of these results, Sand with Aspen Family Connections says schools need to help students make responsible decisions. Among the first steps is to respect their intelligence. We should dignify young people with information about the choices they're making, because they're not stupid. They have access to a lot of information. They also don't always have the, the judgment. The old standard for substance prevention curriculum often centered around scare tactics. But Sand wants kids to know about what these substances are doing to their still-developing brains and bodies long-term. And she says that will help them make informed decisions. That's the essence of prevention, I think. It's information, and it's a kind of empowerment. They derive strength every time they overcome an obstacle or do something differently or think for themselves. Meanwhile, Sand and her colleagues are working to better address substance use and mental illness in Aspen students, because the longer they can encourage kids to delay experimentation with drugs and alcohol, research shows they'll be less likely to struggle with substance abuse in adulthood. Colorado students will take the Healthy Kids survey again this year, so new results will be available as soon as next spring. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Hallie Zander. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low near 40 degrees, followed by a sunny day on Friday with a high near 70 and breezy conditions. Skies will remain mostly clear Friday night. Perfect conditions for viewing the full harvest moon, the final supermoon of 2023. The low Friday night will be around 40 degrees. Saturday calls for sun again with a high near 65 and a chance of showers developing in the afternoon. Showers and cloudy skies are likely on Saturday night, with a low near 40. This has been the news for Thursday, September 28th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.